And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, Tom, we used to do this back in the days when we could go to hockey games, and a lot of times at Rogers Arena, we would watch the game, we'd finish up our work, and then we would record a VanCast. It was like the post-game edition of the VanCast. Uh, nowadays, normally we record in the mornings, but uh, with the Canucks playing in Ottawa on Wednesday night and then into Toronto on Thursday, the quick turnaround, we thought, hey, let's get after it, a post-game edition of the VanCast. So here we are. Man, do we have a fair bit to talk about. We knew that there were going to be tough nights ahead for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we've said that since COVID uh, ran roughshod over this organization. Uh, they bounced back with the wins against the Leafs. And then it was supposed to be four straight against the Sens. That that was supposed to be easy street for this hockey club. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case. They lose three of four to the Ottawa Senators with the 6-3 loss on Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, if anybody really thought that their playoff hopes were still alive... They have been dashed. They're dead. They're done. Uh, there's no coming back from losing three of four to the Ottawa Senators. First of all, j can we start with the 2.30 start? Like, we have to start with the weirdo afternoon start, which was basically picked so that a Canucks game wouldn't interfere with a nationally televised Leafs game, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's why. Now, because it wasn't against Toronto, I feel like it didn't create the same level of animosity <laughs> that we're used to. When a Canucks game starts at 4 p.m. and it's a home game, right? Um, but this is the one that Canucks fans should almost be more furious about, especially with a 2.30 start when most people are not done work, right? Like, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, muted their TV and still did their Zoom calls while watching the game, but that was a brutal start time for the Canucks. And man, did they play poorly, right? Like, that was just a really... Now, I think we're going to differ a little bit because I think midway through the first period... I thought to myself, this team looks done. Like, stick a fork in this team. This team doesn't have it tonight. Not even close. 
And so I wasn't surprised to see things go off the rails and go off the rails in a hurry in the second period. Like, I just thought this was a team that looked gassed. Um, that's not a surprise to me either. I always thought that the quick turnaround, the quick flight east would impact the Canucks an awful lot more than the relatively young, relatively healthy Senators. Uh, I think that ca- I think that came to bear. You know, some of those mental errors, like Travis Green was the only person in the organization willing to cop to the fatigue thing, right? Calling the team both mentally and physically fatigued. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was evident from puck drop, personally. And obviously it all came to a sort of hellish four in the first two minutes of the, of the second period. Look, I, I recognize what they've been through. And so I, I get context, but the first minute and 10 seconds of the second period, it's a one thing hockey game. Like Monday was just low event. It was boring. They looked sluggish. I get it. it like to me, that looked like uh, everything that he had been to sort of caught up with them. Uh, I thought the Wednesday game though, like, yeah, I mean, look, we can get into a lot of things. The the opening goal, Victor Mete, right up the middle. What in the world Tyler Myers is doing on that play? Like, Tyler Myers steps up basically to take a ghost out of out of the equation. Like, I think he thought the pass was going rink wide. He steps up, and instead Mete just recognizes that, like, man, Main Street is wide open. Look out. We here I come, and sure enough, made no mistake. So, you know, well, not what did you think the- about his answer post game? Did you hear his answer on that goal? I didn't. Oh he, no, I did. Yeah, yeah. It's about look where the mistakes. Something about <laughs> he threw there. I don't know which forward exactly has the tire marks from the bus running over them um, on their back on the back of their jersey, but there's a Canucks forward who's been chucked under the bus by Tyler Myers. Fair enough. Like there are mistakes to go around. Or there's enough to go around. But his read and reaction was it was terrible. And, well, and, and you know, his, but it was Ole Olevi who seemed to bear the brunt of it in terms of ice time, right? Like it seemed like the coaching staff was then reluctant to play Olevi, not Myers, as the first progressed. Right. Olevi had two more shifts the rest of the period. There was one penalty each way, so most of the period was played at evens, and Olevi had three shifts, his first one he gets scored on. And he only had four shifts in the third period, too, which, again, sort of blows my mind. It's garbage time at that point. You're playing again in Toronto in 24 hours. Uh, you're playing Edler and Myers and Schmidt and Hughes and Hamannick a bunch. I mean, Hamannick fought in the third period, so he sat for five. But Ulevi uh, only had four shifts in the third period as well. So I, I, that one seemed a little surprising to me. But but I just go back to the, the first 70 seconds of the second period. You've had the intermission. Mm-hmm. And you're down one nothing, so you're still in the hockey game. You're one shot away, and then you look at the Chris Tierney goal that he basically just shoves Edler aside and grabs the rebound. Yeah, and then you know, so now it's two nothing. You're in trouble, and 32 seconds later, JT, JT Miller, Miller giveaway, and we've yeah. just seen it way too many times this year. Like the message isn't getting through about throwing pucks blindly in the middle of the ice. Like the Canucks just keep doing it. Miller's been a massive culprit all season long. And then he compounds the problem because there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, pushback on the check on Brady Kachuk. And Kachuk slides the puck over to Josh Norris into the net, 3 nothing. And I know the Canucks scored three, so that wasn't the game winner. But at 3 nothing, uh, I think the result was sealed, even though goals were being scored all over the place in the second period. So, like again, I get the context of COVID. I don't think, though, in those 70 seconds, like that didn't feel like you know, this team that was burdened by the virus. That was just like January, early February, Vancouver Canucks, poor decisions, poor puck management, 
not a ton of will to make up for the mistakes that they were making. And again, they're not good enough to make those kind of mistakes. They wind up at the back of the net and chalk it up. It's another loss. And now there's 13 games to go. Yeah. Well, and I, I do, but I do think like, here's the problem, right? Is, you know, the margins are so fine for these games. Like the difference between winning that puck battle versus tyranny and not for Alex Edler, you know, I mean, it's a millisecond of recognition, right? Uh, the difference between a genius breakout pass from JT Miller and an up the middle pass that's just a complete train wreck, you know, is a, a split second and a quick read. And I just think when you're behind, when you're tired, when your lungs aren't quite what they're usually, you know, capacity wise at, uh, for me, it's all like, like, don't get me wrong. Those mistakes, the Canucks played badly. They're also not good, right? Like, they're also not good, yep. and there were yep. games like this coming for them, regardless of whether or not the outbreak had happened, in my view, right? The underlying numbers suggested that this team was bound to regress significantly when their goaltending stopped being league best over the course of a 17-game stretch, or really longer, actually, I guess a 20-game stretch from March 1st on. Um, you know, that doesn't surprise me, but... For me, the biggest factor in what we're seeing and what we're going to see, because there's a lot of painful games ahead for this team. I, I mean, I genuinely believe that. Um, and I think that's the, the reason for it. it's not going to be just because, like, they scratched Jimmy VC. Jimmy VC's not good, right? All of a sudden, you've got Zach McEwen playing left wing, right? Like, you've got Tyler Mott in your top six. And, you know, he played Vine, but... McEwen never looked comfortable to me on the left side. The other options were Howerluck or Righty and, you know, I, I guess Vertanen, right? And it's just like, you know, it's just wild. Like, it's just wild. This team doesn't have enough left wing depth to scratch Jimmy VC. <laughs> like, like, what are we talking about? That's ridiculous. That's completely unacceptable. And we're, we're talking about a team that doesn't have enough left wing depth to scratch Jimmy VC. That's what we're talking about. Insanity. Insanity, right? Like just saying that out loud makes me shake my head, but it's true. And, you know, in that context, when, when I consider all of that, like all of the valid criticisms about this team's quality and on and on down the list, I still think what's going to be the decisive factor on them falling well short of the playoffs here is going to be the fatigue element. Well, as we record this, after the game in Ottawa, the Canucks have now been passed by the Senators. This is something we've talked about on this podcast. The Canucks have seven games in hand. So I don't think they're going to finish behind the Ottawa Senators when all is said and done. But at this moment, with these three wins in four games, the Sens have now moved past the Vancouver Canucks. Optically, the Canucks will spend this night. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, bud. But, uh, you win. No, that's, that's not a win. I, it took, it's not it a took, win I wanted. It took an outbreak. It, but it's also, it took a COVID outbreak. They have, what, six games in hand. Seven. But, yeah. but, but it turns out, um, by the skin of my, by the skin of your teeth, you were correct and I was incorrect. So, uh, but my, kudos to you. I have to own that one. Yeah. I mean, that's not one I want to own though. But my point is when you look at the way there's, <laughs> you look at the way the senators are going now and all of a sudden they're feeling good about themselves and their young guys are scoring a bunch of goals. You know, like, I, I don't think the Canucks have a lot of wins in them the rest of the way. And I don't know what Ottawa is going to do, but you know, if the Canucks win two of the seven games they have in hand, then it's going to be closer than you would have liked if you're the Vancouver Canucks when all is said and done in terms of where they finish 
uh, in relation to the Ottawa Senators, a team who didn't even look like they belonged in the National Hockey League early on. But their young guys have come a long way. The experience gained this season, and they look like they're feeling it now. And, and you know, let's get to the conclusion of that 70-second stretch to start the second period because like we've seen Travis Green animated behind the bench, but we have rarely seen him light his group up, and he was pissed. You could tell, right? Like, you know, he tries to have a fairly calm demeanor behind the bench most of the times. I know he said after the game that you guys don't see me in the locker room. I, I light them up at times. But, you know, for public consumption, we don't see that much and that kind of emotion from Travis Green very often. Uh, but he was fired up. He did not like what he saw from his hockey club. Well, how can you, right? Like, especially those first two goals in the second period. I mean, that was um, horrendous. Ugly, right? Genuinely bad. And um, so, yeah, I mean... I don't think anyone was shocked to see the coach light them up. And, you know, I mean, you feel for him. Like, post-game, he's asked two two questions that I thought were enormously telling. The first was, you know, the how much is on your, on your best players, right? And he gave an example of Hughes trying to do a little too much at one point and Miller trying to do too much on the goal in question. And, you know, the, like, if we load up the Travis Green translator, right? Like, bleep, bleep, bloop, bloop, right? What would it spit out from his answer there? Yep. It's it's as follows. It's as follows. It's, blame JT Miller. Like, damn, that's the last guy I'm worried about, right? Like, I need five more guys of that quality, right? Like, that's not, my problem is that I can't scratch Jimmy VC. Like, I don't have the left wing depth to scratch Jimmy VC, and you're asking me about JT Miller. Fuck! <laughs> that was the Travis Green translator there. And then and then I think also, you know, he's asked about uh, the other telling answer that I thought he gave was to Daniel Wagner, when Daniel Wagner asked specifically about Cole Lind, right? Yeah. And this was a question that I asked Green about a week ago, right? And Green unceremoniously uh, dunked on me for it, even though it was a completely fair question, right? He decided to interpret that I was saying that the team was out of it, that wasn't what I was ever implying. I was implying that, hey, you've got 34 bodies on your roster. That's completely unique. How do you manage that? Is there a thought to getting young guys in? Um, now, anyway, whatever. He gave a more thoughtful answer to Daniel Wagner. I think understanding that this was becoming a story, right? That was becoming a talking point locally. And, you know, the the answer that he gave focused on... Well, I thought the interesting part of it anyway, and the Travis Green translator sort of pulling it up was, you know, there's a lot of guys in that room competing to make the playoffs, right? Like the idea that if you insert a younger guy, an untested guy completely before you're eliminated, what impact does that have on the vets in the room? Um, because this is a little known fact too, right? Like fans love young players, but NHL vets love NHL vets. <laughs> like that, that is true. And I thought that was an interesting answer um, that speaks to, to some of the team dynamics, some of the things that a coach can't really say publicly, but that impact the decision-making as it happens behind the scenes anyway. Um, one thing I do expect to see against the Leafs is, Jimmy VC is going to get back in for McEwen, right? Like, McEwen didn't have a good game again. Oh, you're going to get that former team energy from Jimmy VC. Uh, I don't know about that. Look out. But Jimmy VC, Jimmy Jimmy v- here's the problem. Shot VC out of a is, cannon, Jimmy VC. 
<laughs> Fuck. Yeah, like, into the sun. Um, but uh, but but seriously, the thing about VC though is like VC is the fourth best five on five rate scorer on this team. Like he's definitely one of their six most talented offensive guys. And if you want to roll your eyes and be like, "Come on, it's VC," it's like, yeah. You should roll your eyes. Like, he should not be the sixth most talented available player on this roster. Arguments, you could have the argument for fifth. Um, I agree with you, but that is what it is. Like, that is true. And I think at this moment, anyway, the Canucks need goals. Like, they need someone who can produce more than they need work rate, unfortunately. Yeah, but BC, BC doesn't have a point as a Vancouver Canuck. Like, Tom, I think he left his offense in the trunk of that car that was parked outside Canadian Tire Center. But like, sure, but go over that eight-game sample. Go over that eight-game sample and how many points do any of the other guys have? None. That we're that talking whole, about. That whole bottom six group, it's, there's no offense. None. But, but, but so why are we taking those eight games versus a career in which at least VC has produced at the NHL level at like a relatively normal clip right like that's the point like jimmy vc is an empty suit bottom six player right he does nothing interesting except he produces like a third liner uh, consistently while doing nothing else of value and disappearing for long stretches right but he produces like there's so many guys yeah but he does like he does it it sucks to to watch i'm waiting to see it and i think they're waiting to see it as well. But 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 who like again, no one is producing on this team, right? Like I was just checking the numbers because the JT Miller should move to center argument is like sticking in my craw, right? Yeah. And it's like JT Miller moved to center on March 4th for that game against the Maple Leafs after the Pedersen injury, right? Do you know how many five on five goals he's been on the ice for? Not goals that Miller has scored. Five on five goals that JT Miller has been on the ice for. Since moving to center and impressing everyone so on March 4th. 17. This is a sample that includes 17 games. I don't. I'm waiting. Anticipating. Six. Six. Yikes. Six. (laughs) Again? One more time? No, it's six goals, man. It's crazy. Like, that's crazy. In the 92 games as a left wing that he's played for the Canucks, he's on the ice for nearly 80, right? Like, just under a goal per game. Wow. Like, the, the drop-off is massive. And now people are like, yeah, make him a third-line center with Mott and Pod Colson. And this is Jason Bruff specifically, who addressed before he talked on the Sportsnet broadcast that I said this was a trash take. Like, you're not going to get the offense you, you think you're going to get from that line. Like, you don't take an elite winger and make him a depth center. It's nuts. It's nuts. The, the, JT, Miller, the JT Miller should be a permanent center takes. Need to stop. Like, he's played 17 games there for the team with the best goaltending in the NHL, and they've still had way too many nights like this and far too many nights where Miller hasn't produced. He's a winger and a great one. Leave him there. And if you go Miller in the middle with Pod Colson and Mott, like, that doesn't even begin to address what's playing above those guys in the lineup on the wings. Like, right. the minute you move How Miller... How do you replace Miller? You don't. The minute you move Miller <laughs> to the center... Like, a team that's already so weak on the wings is just exposed that much more so. So, a totally. couple of things. One is, uh, don't ever do the Travis Green translator like you did the second time without the sound effect. Because I think the sound right. effect it needs is... needs to bleep blue. Yes, that's massive. Okay, the enough. other part is, you know what NHL vets like more than NHL vets? It's winning. And right. this notion that... 
you can't play Cole Lind because the veterans may not dig it. When you inserted Nils Hoaglander as a 20-year-old who had barely touched down on this continent before his 20th birthday and had never played a preseason game and stepped into the NHL as a raw rookie and absolutely it was the right call to have him in the lineup from day one. So, like, Nils Hoaglander's had success in the NHL this season. Like, why couldn't Cole Lind step in and have some success? I'm not expecting that Cole Lind's going to light up the world, but Cole Lind was a second-rounder, as Nils Hoaglander was. He's a couple of years older and more experienced than Nils Hoaglander is. And we talk about these empty suits that are in the lineup on a nightly basis. Like, it's at a point in time, I don't want it to get where the Canucks... Like, they could mathematically stay in this race of Montreal Flounders they could stay in it until there's two or three games left. And then what? Then what are we doing? Like, I don't yeah. want to run out a runway before you give some of these young guys an opportunity. No, I, I look, I, I mean, that's for me is the argument for Cole Lind. It's not that Cole Lind can help you win. It's that can he do worse? Right? And the answer a lot of nights is no. Well, <laughs> like, and frankly. also, also, I mean, you know, as we sit here now and, you know, I, I saw Dehatchik and Ryan... Clark did the latest athletic expansion mock draft for Seattle. Yeah. And I think Dehatchik had them taking Braden Holpe and Ryan Clark had Seattle taking <laughs> taking Cole Wind. But <laughs> Canucks like, crossing their fingers while reading Duhatsik's version. But there's this notion, <laughs> there is a notion out there that the Canucks are going to use one of their protected spots on Cole Wind. So you're going to protect the guy, but you don't even know if he can play in the National Hockey League when you have an well, opportunity. Forget, forget play. You don't know if he can bump, you know, like Matthew Highmore out of the lineup. Yes, I'm saying right here, right now, yes, he can. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you're right. I agree. Um, I think it's Cole Lind time. I think it's long past Cole Lind time, frankly. But, you know, I don't think we're going to see him tomorrow. Like, I don't think, I think we're going to see Jimmy VC and Zach McEwen swap flip-flop out, in, in and out. And, uh, by the way, I want to note one thing about Yolevi not playing in the third while they're chasing. Like, this is my concern about Yolevi's season all around. Like, he's played really soft minutes relative to most Canucks players. And if you're sheltering, working hard to shelter a third-pair defender, like, at 5-on-5, I think it's absolutely essential that that third-pair defender do something, right? And, And by do something, I mean be a difference maker, at special on a special teams unit, either an elite PK guy like like a uh, Nikita Triamkin, maybe could be maybe you know, uh, but like at least be a really really good PK guy or a really really good power play guy, right? The model there being like um the model there being like uh, uh what was that guy's name? Mark Andre Bergeron, remember him? Um or or be a guy who really drives play five on five and contributes a ton offensively. The model there being like King's era Alec Martinez, right? Like you got to do one of those things, in my view, to justify being a third pair guy who plays 12 minutes a night. Like you have to. And Yolevi's been fine. Like he's been fine. He's been solid, safe third pair minutes. But considering the matchups and what they do to work to get him the matchups, like there needs to be a bottom line there beyond two points in 20 games. Um at least you need to move the river five on five. And Yolevi's two-way impact's been neutral. His offense has been, you know, a couple of fortunate b- bounce, bouncy goals from the point against, I think both were against Hogberg. 
or at least both were against Ottawa. Um, that's just not enough. Like, that's not enough to get excited about by any means. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Thatcher Demko got the start. Wasn't available the other night. Silovs uh, was the backup, but uh, Thatcher Demko with the day off yesterday recovered, uh, is in there, and like full credit to him. Because, again, we talked a little bit earlier about battle level top to bottom. <laughs> if everybody if everybody had battled as hard as Thatcher Demko, would, like, they hung him out to dry in the third period, right? Like, he gives up five. That's not a great night at the office for him, obviously. But in the third period, it was just, like, odd man chance after odd man chance. He, he basically padded his own, like, season highlight reel in the third period. There were, like, some incredible stops there. From Thatcher Demko. And it was all on the power play. That was like one of the best power play sequences of the year. You don't want your best power play sequence of the year to come from a goaltender. It was a clinic. Power play clinic. Man advantage. Uh, He didn't look like a guy that was day-to-day, though, 24 hours ago. No. No, he did not. He, um... I mean, he looked like a power play ace. He looked like (laughs) he should be handling things on on the half wall. Put him in the one through one like, my goodness, even best power play. I, th- I think that was the best power play sequence from a Canucks player all season. Yeah, the uh, the power play, uh, again, they didn't lose because of their own power play. They only had two opportunities, but uh, I don't know. Like, it's just, it, it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of people because nobody wants 13 games of garbage time, but it kind of feels now like that's what they're up against. Like back to back in Toronto, the Leafs are, you know, trying to put the hammer down and lock up the division. And if that's not enough, you get out of Toronto and it's just like a few weeks back where they were in Montreal on a Saturday and home to Winnipeg on that Monday night. Remember they got shut out in that game. That was our, we had that one dialed up as a loss uh, to begin with this time around, you know, three and four, Wednesday night, Ottawa. Thursday, Toronto. They get Friday off. Then Saturday in Toronto. Then they got to fly home. And they've got McDavid and Dreisaitl waiting for the first of four straight. Like, six in a row here. Two against Toronto and four straight against Edmonton. And we saw what the Ottawa Senators did to them. Like, I am a little worried for the Vancouver Canucks. And we talked earlier when they were coming out of the the COVID break about the sort of the psychology of all of this. Like, uh, these cannot be easy games. Like, they can put on the brave face and talk about, you know in it to win it and all that kind of stuff. But uh, to me, Wednesday night was an indication that, you know, there are probably, in fact, I'm pretty certain that there are a bunch more rough nights ahead that are going to look like they, they did at the Canadian Tire Center. A hundred percent. And I mean, can you imagine back checking McDavid? Like think about the, well, yeah, I mean, think about the odd man rushes against 
that they gave up to the senators. Now, now it's McDavid Dreisaitl, right? It's like, yikes. Sure it is. It's a scary prospect. And I do think, like, I do think this, um, this game tomorrow, like, I know the Leafs play tonight. In fact, I'm watching them as we do a VanCast. We should do this more often. <laughs> My favorite yes. team, J-Pat. Um, but, uh, but the, the, you know, I, I would say that tomorrow's a schedule loss, even though there's, they're not playing a rested team because the Canucks are behind the eight ball. Like a back to back is not equal right now for the Canucks. Like they are starting from behind in every situation they face, which is again, why I'm cutting them enormous slack and suggesting constantly. And I'll keep saying this, like I'll keep saying this as they, as these games get ugly, because I fully expect them to get ugly. Um, the, the major factor here is not how bad the roster is, even though I think it's really bad. Um, but but fatigue, relative fatigue. I, I You know, I was talking to Blake Murphy, the Athletics Toronto Raptors writer, and he was talking about how Siakam and Fred Van Vliet keep giving answers, talking about how they're not quite back to, you know, like level footing after the COVID outbreak that the Raptors dealt with, that was like six weeks ago. That was six weeks ago, right? Um, you lose, even if it's 3%, and I bet you it's more, but you lose 3% in this league, like, it's professional sports. These are, these are athletes competing at, like, the outside limits of what's humanly possible. Uh, they're finely tuned. You lose 3%, like, that's a massive, massive impact. Like, that will show, and that will show in ways that, you know, it's easy to say, like, that's not because of that. But I think everything is because of that. And, you know, for me, that's unfortunately the lens through which I have to evaluate this, which is why I can't even get excited about being like, you know, here's the five players auditioning to play a role in the Canucks bottom six last year or next year. And here's how they fared. Like, I don't even think that's reasonable to do at this juncture. Um, it's so weird. Like, it's so weird. And, and I get that it's discouraging for Canucks fans. Um, but well, it is what it is, man. Like, this is going to be a, a slog here. Right. So the real test then is going to be how long can Clay keep the thumbs up? Right? Like, I think no. that, honestly, that's going to be the test. Can he keep well, the that's, thumbs up? That, well, that lasts forever. That, that, that well, type of picture, meme will last forever. Picture, sure. No, the photo will. I get that. But in his day-to-day life, enjoying the Vancouver Canucks, if it goes completely sideways here over these final 13, can Clay keep the thumbs up consistently? Yes, it's Clay. Have you met Clay? I have. He's the nicest guy in the world. I understand all of that. <laughs> but I think that'll be a test. I think even for the most diehard Canuck fan, I think that their fandom is going to be tested here. Yeah. And I do worry. Like the four straight against McDavid, they got five left. And that was always my thing, too. Like, people get, like, you know, they got all these games in hand and whatever. But they had five left against McDavid. Like, he's going to win two of those games single-handedly, even if COVID wasn't a thing against the Vancouver Canucks. Like, he's totally. just at another level right now. You saw what he did to the Winnipeg Jets the other night. You play him four in a row. Like, there's bound to be a night like that. And the Canucks are so vulnerable against the rush. Right? right. Like, that's... We, that, we saw him on the, so on the second, second night of the season. He lit them up. Yeah. Totally, totally, and and well, and the Canucks play Edler and Tufts, and it's like there is almost no bigger mismatch in the league, right? This, like it just is what it is, right? So this brings up this question too about you know what do they do, and they they got personnel decisions to make, but like 
are they bringing Travis Hamannick back? Like, has Hamannick done enough to earn a contract with the Canucks? Because there's also this question about what do you do with Alex Edler? Like, if you bring both of them back, then you're just returning the same defense core that wasn't anywhere close to good enough. No, I know. Well, and I think you probably do bring Travis Hamannick back if the price is right. I think uh, so, personally. too. Personally, I, I that's, so that's my view. No, I think but, so, too. But you're right. Like, how do you improve? Like, how do you... How do you improve? Uh, it's not going to be easy, especially because an awful lot of this club's cap space is going to be committed to Patterson and Hughes, right? Like there's not a lot of spare space and they and they spent $8 million of that spare space. Um, you know, some of it needed to be spent on on Demco, though whether or not you could have got a better one-year contract outcome um, if you'd done something shorter, you know, uh, that's up for debate, I suppose, up, up to back backseat drive a little. I don't have a problem with the Demco outcome ultimately, but the Pearson thing ties your hands a little bit too, right? And sort of speaks to a larger issue that this team always seems to bump into, which is like we need that guy specifically as opposed to, you know, trying to find value anywhere, ever. Um, they're going to need to find a lot of value. <laughs> and, and if your solution is let's move an elite winger to the center and then we'll try and find a first-line wing... Like, good luck. Good luck doing that with the cap space that the Canucks are going to have to play with because it's not a lot. And, you know, there's no... I mean, I know that Jim Benning gave the quote on... Uh, I guess it was the People Show, the 650 show, right? Where he said, you know, I know things you don't, yeah. right? Uh, maybe. May, I mean, maybe. But, like, I, I mean, I think the Canucks... It seemed like in my conversations with the Canucks last spring that they expected another shoe to drop, and a lot of people in the market speculated that it was Louie, and and I kept writing that, you know, hey, look, if they get out of that, full credit to them, but that seems like fantastical thinking to me. Um, I don't see an easy way out of this. Like, I don't see an easy way to carve out the space to find the types of upgrades that this club so desperately needs. Um, so, you know, if you're bringing Edler and Hamannick back, even if Edler's taking a massive pay cut... You know, like, well, first of all, where where's your Levy and Rathbone's minutes coming? Are you developing them? Like, are you? Uh, and then, and secondly, like, how how are you better? How, you're not straight up. Like, that's and that's that's why you know, I do think one of the one of the best things that Jim said all, all, has said all season was, you know, we're a couple years away. And he's right. This is not a quick turnaround. Um, and I and I'd add this. I'd add this too. Uh, you know, been reported by both Friedman and LeBron that things are expected to heat up with uh, Travis Green's situation. But to top it all off, you know, the easy fix for a team is like, hey, we're a good team with bad goaltending, right? Like that's a thing you can fix with one piece, right? Or we're a good team with the wrong coach. That's that's a you don't even need to change your roster, right? <laughs> you you bring in Daryl Sutter and that didn't pay off for the Flames down the stretch here, but it will next year. Like they're going to be imposing. More imposing next year just because of that. Um, the Canucks are both well-coached and have good goaltending, j And this is still who they are. Like, not close to good enough. That, that is the scariest thing about what lies ahead for this team going into this offseason. If I am prepared to take a hollow victory on the Senators sleeping uh, ahead of the Canucks for at least one night, then I... I I want to take full advantage of Brandon Sutter and his snack goal in the hockey game too. Sutter's up to nine. He's up to nine goals, by the way, which 
on this team. Good for him. No, I know. Like, the goal total is fine. He's sitting on three assists still. And he had one the other night. So he's on a bit of a run here. He's had points in back-to-back games. But in our season-long bet, which is nearing a conclusion with 13 to go, and we'll continue to monitor as we go here, uh, I had Brandon Sutter pegged for eight. You had him at seven. So every like now I want him to heat it up. Like, I want him to be a 15-goal scorer. Right. I don't think he'll... Rack up the score. Exactly. Like, I want him to feast on the snack goals the rest of the season. Like, if there are five or six late-game goals that do nothing uh, to impact the outcome, but they're off the stick of Brandon Sutter, I am down for each and every one of them. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Uh, look, Brandon Sutter playing for a contract, too, right? Yep. Um, you know... <laughs> Maybe this is a hot take, but Brandon Sutter on a $1 million deal, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense, not just for the Canucks, but for a lot of teams, right? And Sutter's one of those guys I kind of feel for because he'll never, in this market anyway, sort of fans will never get past foundational and the contract, right? Um, But like he's he's a useful player in the right role. At the right price point. It's just that that price point is $1 million and the right role is fourth line center, you know, who can shift a wing in a pinch if you need it. Um, yeah, it's, it's not on him that he's been cast as something other than that. So um, anyway, I, I have time for Brandon, a Brandon Sutter re-signing so long as there's also an, a serious upgrade at third line center that's not JT Miller coming. Um, <laughs> I will, I will or, add that. Or... Or that isn't Brandon Sutter. Like, if I knew that Brandon Sutter was going to be locked in as a fourth-line center only and a penalty killer, but never was there a temptation to play him higher in the lineup with any kind of offensive expectations or playmaking. No, no, no. But if they got a third-line center and they had an injury to a winger and he was moved up to third-line right wing, then then I'm okay again. Because I'm like, yeah, he can shoot. He'll win battles along the wall. He's reliable. I just don't want to see him at center playing with, like, Vasily Podkolzin. You know what I'm saying? And then there's this expectation for offense, and it's just like, guy has tunnel vision. You know? Like, that's what I don't want to see. Well, we ha- we won't have to worry about that for a while, but I- I'm not closing the door. I'm not closing the door to a Brandon Sutter return. I mean, we know what the organization thinks of him, and you're right. Like, on a one-year deal at a million bucks, like, I've probably got a fair bit of time for that discussion, but that's not a decision that's going to be made here uh, before the end of the season, no. certainly. So, uh, well, no, well, and but but you know, and you know too, the organization will fall in love with Brandon Sutter, and like we don't want a one million dollar depth center. We want Brandon Sutter, right? And then it's two million, and then it's not going to work. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> so and like, the scenario I just played out there, like if he all of a sudden does score three or four more here and finishes with thirteen goals, totally, and I could see the organization, especially especially if he's the one guy like who's reliable. Down the, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, things are going to get ugly. And so if one guy's a little more consistent than the rest, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb here. Right. Like, if the team completely goes in the tank, but one player rises above, it's going to be character, and he refused to quit. And look at this guy. Like, he played through the, the tough times, and, and let's give him a new contract that <laughs> exceeds his value. Yeah. I don't. By the way, now that we've talked in this tone all podcast, you know for sure that Braden Holpe is stealing this one on Thursday night against Rome. 100%. 100%. And, then, and then, the, uh, then, then the fake playoff race will be on again. I don't think so. I have... Uh, <laughs> no, I have put all of my playoff uh, signage away for another year here. 
<laughs> you're you're flying. Pa- yes. You're taking your the flag banner, off the car. The banner is not flying. <laughs> no, sorry. Doesn't get doesn't get clearance. That was that was that was last yes, week. Yes, the banner does not get clearance, or the airplane doesn't get clearance uh, from air traffic control to get off the ground. Hey, I wanted to thank uh, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian for having us on the Athletic Hockey Show uh, the other day. That was a lot of fun. Uh, sort of stepping outside of our you know, deep dive on the Canucks to look at a few league issues. And so uh, it was good to be guests instead of the hosts. And I hope we uh, were decent house guests. We left the place in order. Didn't overstay our welcome, I don't think. So uh, thanks to them. Uh, I also should mention that Craig Conroy, the assistant GM of the Calgary Flames, spends the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at the Athletics. So you can check that out. Craig Conroy, uh, never short on things to say and talk about. Uh, one of the good guys in the hockey world. So uh, you may want to have a listen to the full 60 with Craig Custance and Craig, two Craigs on the same pod. Uh, also, and we always say this at the end of each and every episode here, please check out our comment section for every podcast that we drop. Uh, you can do that at the Athletic app. You can rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, you're missing out. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. So we will sit back as the Canucks move on from Ottawa to Toronto. First of two against the Leafs, and we'll watch Thursday's game. We won't do a post-game edition. We'll uh, save that for Friday morning, right? That's the plan? That, that is the plan. Let's watch the Leafs game, and we'll uh, we'll go on Friday, um, preview what promises to be a really tough, th- the next four and three, all against Edmonton. It's brutal. And, uh, and look, so hey, first of all, I want to say uh, it's a school of fish, right? A murder of crows. It's a Calvin of Craig's. I don't know why, but it's called a Calvin of Craig's. Okay. <laughs> uh, right. And also, everyone go <laughs> check out Harmon Dial's. Um, well, really, it was the VIPs Q and A with with Quinn right. Hughes, but done by Harmon Dial. Did a great job pulling some fun personality out of Quinn Hughes. That's a must read at the Athletic Vancouver. Go check it out, and of course, course use theathletic.com/vancast and get your subscription at $3.99 a month. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's probably going to be a difficult slog here over these final 13, so you need your your fun where you can take it, and Harm certainly uh, was able to bring out a little bit of levity and uh, a lighter side of, of Quinn Hughes. So I agree, I had uh, some fun reading that. I would highly recommend it. Uh, for Durancer, it's J-Pat. As always, we thank you for your support of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.